everybody. It is so good to be with you. My name is Michelle Jernigan, and we get to spend some time together today. Man, it, I always feel like when Thanksgiving comes early, like the season will feel like longer, which it technically is, but it just feels like it goes by so quickly. And we are just a week away from Christmas, and I ran across this meme, so I'm gonna share it with you, because this is me. When I try my best, to shop for Christmas presents for my family. But then I see something and think, you know who would like that? Me. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's you, but I'm like, oh, like, this is a nice sweater. Like, I'm gonna get it. I'll wrap it and put it under the tree. But hey, I like, anybody else? Anybody else like buy a gift for themselves already? Anyone lose their mind over a parking spot or a long line? No? No one. Everyone's holy in this room. Perfect, just me. Well, we are in a series called Unexpected, and every single week we've been on a different topic. We started with bad news leads to longing, longing leads to expectation, and today we're going to talk about expectation leading to disappointment. And if you have a journal, get it out. We're going to be in week three, and we also are going to be in John chapter one. If you, wanna, if you have a tangible Bible or an app on your phone, go ahead and get your place there, because that's where we're going to dive in in a little bit. This last week, though, our family had the chance to go to Disneyland, and um, it was crazy. There was 13 of us, because we met some Arizona family, and nowhere that I can think of that I've been recently do you see expectation and disappointment so very clearly. The parents going in in the morning like have these expectations that this day is going to be awesome, that their kids are just going to look around and be in awe. And then you see those parents like later and they're like laying on benches and their kids are crying and they're just exhausted. But here is a pic of our family. We wear matching shirts so we don't lose anybody. And um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And something you guys should know about uh, Pastor Jeremy is that he is a little crazy about his love for Disneyland. Uh, the Disney app has changed so much in the last few years, since the last time we went to Disneyland, and now you can do Fast Pass. If you don't know what that is, you get you come back at a certain time and you get there quicker, and you don't have to wait in as long a line. Well, you can do it all on the app, and it was like watching Jeremy like with like several monitors, and he was like trying to figure out exactly what time to get and do everything in the day and not have to wait in a long line. And the other day, uh, when I gave this message, I said that um, the longest we had waited in line was 35 minutes, and I came off stage and he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." It was 25 minutes, that was the longest. So just so you know, if you're curious on how we did that all day long, actually we did two days at Disney, um, and we didn't wait in a line longer than 25 minutes, you gotta talk to Pastor Jeremy at some point, because he loves Disneyland. But we are in the holiday season, and uh, for many, it's the best time of the year. It's the most anticipated time of the year, and um, usually there's like things that bring back like certain memories. Like I don't know about you, but like sights and smells and um, sounds like all can like, just take me back to a childhood memory. Um, scotch tape, ironically, like that smell of scotch tape really like triggers me to be like, this is the holidays, like all of this wrapping, scotch tape. But maybe it's apple cider or Christmas music. Um, maybe it's chestnuts roasting. And honestly, if you ever have roasted chestnuts, I must meet you because I have never met a single person who has roasted chestnuts before and even on an open fire. So please find me if that is you. Um, I must meet you. But it's also 
a very stressful time of year for a lot of people. There was a study done in uh, 2017, and they called this something. They called it festive stress. And 41% uh, of Americans actually have festive stress. It goes up if you're a lady. It goes to 49%. Six of ten, out of 10 moms say it's just hard to slow down and enjoy the season. Maybe there's this pursuit of perfection or tradition or maybe something your parents did for you that now you're trying to replicate for your children and it, it just feels like it's not the way it always was. So there's just some uh, letdown of disappointment. But they said that mild stress goes to severe stress on December 18th, which is a couple days from now. So this Tuesday, December 18th, I want you guys to just lay low. Like, I don't want you to get too stressed out. Like, I just want you guys just to have a relaxing day. Maybe order in food or something like that. Like, it's a week out from Christmas. Get your shipping, all that kind of stuff done. Get your wrapping done so you don't have severe stress. But if I'm honest, uh, it's not just stress that can kind of show itself during this season. It's um, sometimes it's depression comes up. Maybe you've lost a loved one in this season or, or you have anxiety that shows itself to you or maybe you're lonely and it really, really is evident in the middle of the holiday season. You're probably like, wow, all the joy and warmth of this message just went right out the window really quickly. Like, who invited this girl back? Um, but we were in, uh, we're in this series called Unexpected and Jeremy last week talked about expectations. And if you're like me, then um, I think of how things will go in my head before it actually happens. So like if I'm planning a Christmas dinner or a Christmas party or something like that, I will think through the details of that before it ever comes to be. And I get joy actually out of thinking through the details or specifics of a party or event or even just having my kids open gifts on Christmas or maybe it's you giving gifts to friends or a spouse um, or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Some girlfriends right now are like, I better, yeah, this better happen this holiday season. I better open that gift. Um, but you get this like expectation that you put on all of, on opening gifts on Christmas and, and sometimes it just doesn't always happen the way it goes in our head. So for me, I know I, I get, when I get joy out of thinking how through, how something's going to go, um, I think of things always to their best. And so like, for example, like if you have a strained family relationship, maybe you'll think that this holiday, maybe it'll look a little different. Maybe your family dinner will go smoother than it has in the past. Maybe your friendships and your relationships will be just slightly happier than they have been before. But usually, <laughs> this is just better in our head than it is in reality. So Jeremy and I have been together for 19 years, and um, early on in our marriage, uh, I remember, I, so I don't know if any of you are this way, but if you know the love languages, gifts is a love language, and that is actually my number one love language. So this matters to me, and so um, I was at the stage in our marriage where I wasn't sharing verbally what I wanted for Christmas. I just hoped that he would know, which you already know where this is going. It's going to go bad real quick. Um, and I don't know if, it's, if you're like me, but when you open it, you start pulling back the paper of a gift and you're looking at the box and, and maybe you're thinking, I really hope this box is reused. Like I really hope this, what the show, the picture on the outside of the box, I hope it isn't that. Um, he got me pepper spray, you know, where you spray it in like stranger danger, like 
pepper spray. It was actually a thoughtful gift. But now I, uh, we, we went from just hoping he would know what I wanted to I would send a link now of what I want for Christmas. And now I just buy it for myself. And if, that need, if you need to do that in your marriage or your relationship, it works, friends. Like, we are both happy. We both get what we want. We wrap it. All is good on Christmas. So we don't have any pepper spray stories anymore. But expectations are um, amplified in the holidays. Um, but it's just our life in general um, that we have these expectations. And our plans rarely happen the way our mind thinks they will go. And when we think back on how we expect things to go, we say things like, I should have gotten that job. Or I, I should be married already at this point in my life. Or I shouldn't have married this person. Or I should be dating this person. I should have kids by now. Or maybe you think of your kids and you say things like, oh, I should have had them play that sport. Or I should have had them do that instrument. Or I should have had them go to that college. And we say the word should. Can you think of shoulds in your life? Sam Chan says it this way. Your happiness is inversely proportionate to the shoulds in your life. If you have a long list of shoulds, you may not be all that happy. A few weeks ago, I was speaking at a different church, and I actually was talking about this idea of shoulds. And as soon as I walked off the stage, one of the first things I heard is, you know what you should have said? I was like, oh, I need to rethink what I just said because I just talked about shoulds and someone just came up to me and told me I should have said something very different. It was <laughs> kind, of, kind of funny. Uh, Pastor Jeremy last week said, you only realize your expectations if they are met or broken. But if it's rare that our expectations turn out the way we plan, then most times they're broken and most of the time we become disappointed. See, this happens even with Jesus. Jesus was not who the people expected him to be. See, we're in the season of celebrating Jesus' birth, but actually we're going to be in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, you're thinking, okay, well, it's the first chapter of the, this gospel. He should be talking about the birth of Jesus. He actually just jumps to adult Jesus, and we're going to look at adult Jesus because he gives us clues about Jesus' birth and kind of what he was born into. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 1, verse 43. But first, I want to kind of give you a little bit of context. Two days before this, John the Baptist was around and he was telling people that God or that Jesus is God's chosen one. See, people had thought maybe it was John the Baptist, but John the Baptist was telling them, no, 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 Jesus is God's chosen one. One day before the verses that we're going to talk about today, Andrew and Peter started to follow Jesus. So we're going to pick up John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. See, Nathanael hears Jesus is from Nazareth, and they had passed down this oral tradition from the Old Testament, and so he knew that Jesus was going to be coming, but he hears Nazareth. 
See, Nazareth was this rural, small town, and he is thinking, whoa, 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 Nazareth, nobody's come from Nazareth. It's like me saying to you, if I know where high school you went to or the subdivision that you live in or what college you went to or what job you have, I could say, oh, well, I know a lot about you. I know where you come from. That is what Nathaniel is doing with Jesus. See, people were expecting Jesus to be something he wasn't. He was born poor, not rich. He wasn't born in a palace like we would think. He was born where cattle were kept. Swaddling clothes, that's what they wrapped around him. See, we think of swaddling blankets now, and we think, oh, that was nice. At the time, that was like old clothing that was ripped into strips that was wrapped around him. Uh, We would think he would have a nice crib or somewhere to sleep, but we know from Scripture he was placed in a feeding trough. And we also have read in Scripture that his parents couldn't even afford the traditional sacrifice on the day of his circumcision. Instead of a lamb, they had to do two pigeons. So we know that Jesus was born into poverty. He was not born into wealth. He was born vulnerable, not strong. See, in week one, we talked about bad news. And this was bad news for the people of the day because what they were wanting is they were wanting someone who was strong that would be a political rival to Rome. And yet they didn't get that. Instead, they got a vulnerable baby. He was also born into obscurity. There wasn't like this huge party or a ton of people that knew that he was coming or that they were even looking for. What we know is that only the shepherds were looking for Jesus. And if you remember, Jeremy discussed this in the I Am series. He talked about how, who shepherds were and the role that they played in society. And what we know from that is that they were outcasts. They weren't viewed the same way that we would think of them now. They were viewed as outcasts of society. So Jesus was born into obscurity. See, they expected Jesus to be one way, and yet he was completely unexpected, which led them to be disappointed. And isn't this true for us today? See, the chasm of life or the chasm between the life we have and the life we thought we would have is filled with disappointment. And whether you're used to the word disappointment or not, it is always there. It is that unexpected call from a doctor that just flips your life upside down. It's an affair you weren't aware of. It's addictions that you try to hide from everyone. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's a bankruptcy or a failed business or broken relationships with your friends or with your family. But disappointment always is lingering. And I gotta say this, if you believe in God, well actually, if you don't believe in God, let me just say this, we are so, so glad that you are here or are listening to this. I didn't grow up in the church. I um, started to attend church in high school and I know what it feels like to walk into a room and feel very alone and isolated but I believe that Jesus has something for you and for me, so I hope that you choose to keep coming back because I think that Jesus can change your life. But if you believe in God, we pray in faith as if they were our, like we ask God to do these things in our life, in our marriage or in our relationships or with uh, a sickness that may be with a relative, and we almost pray that God makes our expectations a reality, and yet we, we work tirelessly to make it happen ourselves. Like we're praying in faith and we say that, but yet we are behind the scenes trying to make sure that it all happens the way that we want. But when we work tirelessly, we usually keep it all to ourselves. 
And there's danger when we stay quiet and we don't share that we're disappointed and we don't share that we're exhausted by the things that disappoint us. See, we would love to share a story where we're on this side of it, right? When we're looking back at something that happened in our life and we're through it and we've healed from it. But what happens if we're on this side of it and we're still dealing with the hurt, disappointment, we're still dealing with the hurt that we have and yet we aren't from this angle. See, this is me. This is exactly the place that I am. I'm over here. I'm not on this side giving you this message. I'm on this side of it. See, five years ago, some things started coming up in my mind that I thought I had healed from, but clearly I had not. See, when I was a teenager, there was some things that happened in my family home. Nothing physically happened to me, but some trauma that happened inside my whole family unit. And um, I will say that I've healed the relationship with the, with the relative, and um, I have forgiven them for some of the things that had taken place. But years, years later, there was some trauma and some things and some lies and some shame that had kind of dug deep into my mind that I didn't realize that were even there. And the more I expected myself to get through it, and I couldn't, the more disappointed with myself I came. So I was just bumping up against this wall of wanting to be healed, wanting to be on this side of it, but yet I'm talking to you today very much from this side of it. And I realized this has a grip on me. See, if Satan can get us alone in our disappointments, keeping us quiet, then he can influence us. And ultimately, he can crush us. See, the disappointment in myself started to grow deep. And disappointment doesn't come alone. It always comes with, with friends. It's an extroverted word. Disappointment comes with other friends. Insecurities, fear, doubt, depression, anxiety, a hardened heart. And honestly, one of the worst ones is that you begin to doubt God. You doubt that he is good because he's obviously allowing something in your life that is causing so much hurt and trauma in your life. You doubt that he even cares about you. And then you begin to doubt if he's even real. And we say this to ourselves. We should be on this side of it. We shouldn't be still stuck in this. We should move past this. This isn't a big deal. This happened 10 years ago. This happened last week. It, it, we should be beyond this. This is so small. This is tiny. This is not big anymore. This happened when I was a kid. Whatever it may be, we want to be on this side. And you say, you should be on this side of it. And let me say this. Stop shooting yourself. i got to be careful how I say that. <laughs> Look to your neighbor and say, stop shooting yourself. I should myself all day long. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I hope that comes across on video. Uh, instead, we need to say none of this is a waste of time. See, God may not, he may not have caused your disappointments, but that doesn't mean he can't use it. See, nothing is wasted with God. Have you ever gone through something or are currently going through something and then it, you met other people that were going through something similar or, or maybe are further along or just beginning and you realize like you guys, it, this, this horrible thing or this disappointment or this sadness inside of you or this trauma inside of you, it like has connected you to other people and you're able to either speak wisdom into their life or they're able to speak into your life. Have you ever noticed that? Isn't that just ironic how that comes to be? See, allow the disappointment to be a holy work, a season of learning, of hard work, healing, and staying faithful to God. 
See, what do we do when our life breaks? See, a lot of us think of our life breaking like this. We, you know, our life may have come, there we go. Our life may have broken into pieces. And what we're doing is we ask God, hey, you know what? I liked, ooh, that fits. Um, our, I, I, love our, I loved my life before. I want you to make it go back together and glue every single piece back the way it was. I want you to edit it to be what it was. I loved my marriage. I loved my friend groups. I loved my family or my job or whatever it is. And we want it to go back together like this. But what happens when our life goes completely shatters to the point where it becomes dust. See, this is kind of hard to hold. This is hard just to glue back together. See, the life that you once loved, you can't just make it go back the way it was. It's something completely different now. But see, here's the thing that's amazing about God. This is the ingredient God loves to use. You may remember that he created people out of dust. Jesus picked up a handful of dust and healed a blind man with it. See, this is the perfect ingredient for God. Ephesians 3.20 says it this way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, we, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, immeasurably more. More than you can dream or fabricate or make happen or meddle in your circumstances. God can do immeasurably more and turn something that you think is completely broken and shattered beyond into something completely brand new. See, God can do so much more with this pile of dirt than we can even fathom. You have to face the death of what you thought your life would be. The disappointments of your life may be the best thing that has ever happened to you. Take inventory of your, of your disappointments, of the things that didn't go the way you wanted. Because you're probably thinking, how can this even be true? Think about the disappointments in your life. See, I can personally tell you, some of my saddest moments some of the, my most broken relationships, even the season of life that I am, am currently in, in, I have recognized something and learned new things about who Jesus is. It's given me perspective. More than that, I've realized that usually there's some sort of pride in my life when, um, when disappointment shows up. It makes me recognize that there is something inside of me that is proud Lisa Turker says it this way. Disappointment isn't proof that God is withholding good things from us. Sometimes it's his way of leading us home. Sometimes it's his way of making you realize things about your heart, maybe sin in your life. He's trying to point us to him. And he's going to use the shattered parts, the disappointments, the trauma, the sadness, all of your broken relationships, and he's going to do something with them that you may not even be able to plan or dream or make happen. See, ex expectation leads to disappointment, and disappointment leads to good news. Don't get so caught up in your expectations and the outcomes you hope for that you miss this. See, we talked about, about Nathaniel's response about Jesus, but we... 
he would have missed Jesus if it wasn't for his friend Philip. And Philip says, come and see. See, Philip isn't trying to like, well, let me tell you all about Jesus right now. No, he's saying, no, I want you to come meet him. Because if you come meet him, then you're going to know him. And you're going to know what he wants for your life is good. And he's not out to just cause you harm. He has a plan for you and he loves you tremendously. He wants to take broken parts of you and heal them and redeem them back to him. We all need a Philip in our life. And we're going into a season where next week we're going to have Christmas services on all of our campuses and I have to say, who are you in the story? Because there's no problem with being a Nathaniel because Nathaniel is asking questions. He's questioning God and I don't think that's a bad place to be. So if you're doubting God today, there, there is room for that in, in our faith. You can ask questions. But this week I ask that you be a Philip where you say, you know what, there are other people that are around me, my coworkers, my neighbors, other loved ones, relatives, that may need to hear good news. They may need to understand that this can be transformed into something totally new. Their life can be something very, very different. So what I want to say to you is come and see what God can do with dust. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you our disappointments. We give you the trauma in our life, the sadnesses, the broken relationships, and we ask that you do something with them. And we know that if we look to you and we stay faithful to you, that you will redeem, whether it's here now or, on, or in heaven. That this is temporary. Help us realize that our stories are not a waste of time, that you can use everything to redeem our life and redeem other people's life. And we give you this in your son's name. Amen.